Blog Talk Radio. of slaves in Texas, so we have a lot to talk about, but before we get into today's show, I just wanted to give a big shout out to everyone who is part of the Family Success Center movement in the state of New Jersey. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of facilitating a workshop for hundreds of families on development and growth for the Family Success Center movement here in the state of New Jersey, and so uh, my talk was actually recorded. My talk, one of my talks yesterday was nonprofit. I'm sorry, development strategies for nonprofit organizations, and so it was recorded and we actually posted it up on YouTube. So if you get a chance, you can check that out. Just go to youtube.com forward slash Brown. Um, or you can just go check it out on my blog, um, and that way you'll be able to see the see the videotape of the workshop. So anyway, that's enough of that fun stuff. Just want to let everybody know that the chat room is open, so feel free to log in and um, check us out. If you are listening to this podcast through iTunes or Mixcloud, then there is no chat room. <laughs> but if you're listening to it live today, please feel free to join me because we have so much to talk about and so much to share. So thank you so much for that. Well, let's get right on into this topic. And, and shortly after me talking about Juneteenth, I have some uh, some world news and, and other news that I would like to share with us. You know, I've been saying that we're going to talk about um, Syria and the conflict in Syria, and we are I'm just trying to get a little bit more information about that. I want to make sure I bring you the facts. And furthermore, it's developing. This whole conflict in Syria is changing every single day. So um, I want to make sure that I have an expert, somebody who is um, professional and is really studying, you know, global conflict. I mean, it's not just my thoughts. So on that note, let's get right into what today means and what today is. I have a lot of stuff to share and talk um, as it just relates to slavery in general. But the power and the poignancy and the significance of what Juneteenth should mean to African Americans and, and those of the African descent, we are and continue to be marginalized in so many different areas of society. I shared with you at the top of the show that I had the pleasure of speaking at a conference um, that is held every year to help people called this through this whole family success center movement and there was a workshop yesterday facilitated by three awesome black men and they will be on the show I'm just trying to check their availability about fatherhood and so many people are attacking the symptom as opposed to tackling the root of the problem and 
as an educated woman and having friends who are educated, we have these really intellectually stimulating discussions about black men and fatherhood and they need to step up. But we have to look, take a real serious and real critical look at how this got started. We have to take a real good look at the origin of how and why black people today conduct themselves more or less the way they do, good, bad, or indifferent. There are those, you know, we have the, those who are lighter, are a lighter shade of, of black and have, you know, tried to pass, and I put that in quotation marks, um, and we have those such as myself who are darker, and I, and I can tell you for a fact I was teased for being dark, and I think the only reason I wasn't more brutally teased by being dark when I was growing up is because I had what was considered good hair, for whatever that means. I, I still don't understand this good hair thing. I think we need to do a show about hair. Um, but, you know, my mom and I are very, very dark, and we have to look at the the roots and the origin of why we conduct ourselves the way we do. Those who are more educated feel like they're better. Those who are less educated or even darker feel like we're inferior when really um, we are one. And so we can't have a discussion such as this without taking it back to the root. And the root is slavery. The root is how we were beaten, spit on, tortured, hanged from trees, and mentally abused to condition us to get to the way we are right now. I think we all talk about modern-day slavery and, and what modern-day slavery is or what it means, but there's more to it than just voter suppression and things like that. It is what is going on in the psyche, what is going on in the mind and in the heart of blacks right now. And we can't even really have that discussion without entertaining the conversation about our president. I've heard it on several fronts that blacks don't need civil rights, a, civil, a modern-day civil rights movement, we don't need Black History Month, all of these things that have helped get to where we are because we have a black president. That is a very disingenuous statement. It is it, it it's the it's a fallacy. It is a lie. We need it now more so than ever because what's happening is the fact that we do have a black president is being used to mask the fact that there is such hatred still towards people of color. It's just being done in a more co covert way. Recently, there was a video, um, Cheerios, General Mills actually, um, did a commercial, and the commercial features this adorable, adorable little girl. She has a lighter shade of caramel skin and little ringlets, um, giving an indication if, with a quick glance, maybe she's Spanish, maybe she's black, you're not quite sure. And the commercial opens, the Cheerios commercial opens, and there is a white woman sitting at the table and she's talking to the white woman and then, you know, she runs out and then she runs to her dad who's sleeping on the couch and he's black. So then it puts it together that you understand that this girl is of mixed race. Well, 
General Mills posted it on YouTube. It became viral. It started going around and around and around and around and around. Such visceral comments were posted on this YouTube video that General Mills had to disable the comment feature because people were so up in arms that General Mills had the balls to profile a child of mixed race in a commercial. Now, (laughs) I don't know about you, but we are in 2013, and not only do we have children of mixed race, black and white, we have children of all different races, sizes, shapes, colors, noses, textures, complexions of skin. And so what that tells me and, and, and tells anybody with the gift of sight that God has given them is that we are not free. We don't have we don't have the breaks and allowances. We can't take those breaks and allowances that other people can because there's still so much hatred. The 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 byproduct of slavery is alive and well today. So I wanted to just kind of go through some very important dates of slavery before we even get into Juneteenth. It's very easy to just talk about Juneteenth and say what it is, but we have to go back to the foundation and we have to really look at the circumstances and situations around what led us up to the need, what what made it necessary for us to even have a Juneteenth. So I just want to let you know the site that I will be reading some information from is innercity.org. And I believe that this is a trusted resource uh, that that is going to provide accurate information, that has provided accurate information because it is compiled from different resources. So I am reading from innercity.org, and it's my prayer, it is really my prayer, that the things that I read to you in a moment touch your heart and touch your soul so that we gain a deeper understanding of why things are the way we are. just want to share one point as well. I'm reading from my notes, but I want to share one point before I get into my into points that I would like to bring home. You know, one of my friends uh, and I shared a conversation about a year and a half ago about black men. And you know, even last week we did a we had a podcast uh, on the start of the Trayvon Martin trial, and I had a young rapper uh, by the name of Young Smiles from Brooklyn, and and we talked about you know black men, and you know this this seems to be a it's probably going to be a topic that resonates throughout this season of the show, but you know my friend and I we had this conversation about black men. And her point was they need to pull up their pants, they need to, you know, stop talking ghetto, stop talking the way they do, have ambition, um, and, and, and all of these things. And I listened. I, I didn't speak. I shut my trap, and I just listened. Now, as a person who talks for a living, uh, sometimes that's hard to do because I talk. I've always been a talker. Um, but I listened. And I listened because she was saying all of the things that I felt as well previously. And then I watched as my two sons aged, you know, came through middle school, came through high school. I realized how important my job as a mother was to reinforce that they are valued, 
that there is value within them, that they should have self-esteem. All of these things that come so naturally, a lot, you know, to women, regardless of we're fat, we're skinny, women still have a network of other women that they can tap into. We can put on lipstick, we can put on makeup, we can do all of these other things to make ourselves feel a bit more beautiful. But I listened and I caught myself because I realized I did not share that same view of black men anymore. Why? Because I started to understand our roots. I did my own personal study, almost like a white paper of an informal white paper, I must say, of what's going on with black men because I had two sons, because I have two sons who are maturing, and they're telling me, Mom, you don't understand how hard it is out here. And I'm like, man, get out of here, hard. This is nonsense. That's not true. And So after she finished speaking, I said, so at what point did our mind become free? At what point did our mind become free? Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. uh, So that way in 19, I believe it was 1962, if somebody could check that fact for me real quick, I'm going to see if I can find it because I'm almost positive. Um, Did I say 19, LaVon? I didn't mean 1962. I'm thinking of the civil rights. She's here with me in the studio. I think um, I think it was 1862, and I believe it was in, like, October or November of 1862, and it was to take effect January 1st of 63. So if you can just double-check. I want to make sure I'm getting my facts straight. Um, so now here we are, less than 100 years out of full-blown slavery, but we still have to realize This is 2013. In 1965, in 1967, we were still getting dogs sicked on us. 67, 68, uh, 68, 67, 77, 87, 97, 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Forty-five years ago, we were still getting dogs sicked on us. Okay, wait a minute. She just gave me the fact. Okay, yeah. Emancipation Proclamation. I was right. It was uh, it was set to take effect January 1st, 1863. So I said the fall of 1862. I made a mistake if I said 1962. See, I do do my homework <laughs> for the show. Um, but at what point did our mind become free? At what point did our mind be no longer enslaved of the torture that was imposed upon us through no fault of our own. And that's really the question. So I want to just touch on the chronology of slavery as we move through what Juneteenth really is and what today really means. It's it's about reverence. It's really about reverence. I woke up this morning and I I asked my husband, I said, today is Wednesday, are we going to fast today? As I was about to embark on a protein bar. And he said, "Um, well, you know, we didn't talk about it, so no, let's, let's not do today, we'll fast next Wednesday. Today, in my opinion, should be a a day of fasting and atonement and remembrance of all of the things that our ancestors and forefathers had to bear so that I can sit in a lovely studio 
and say, hey, everybody, it's your girl, Cy Brown, and welcome to the Cy Brown Morning Show as we prepare for the Saida Brown TV show. There has to be reverence. We have to pay and honor, and we have to pay the respect to the people that came before us. The chronology of slavery, which is listed on innercity.org, is broken up into three sections, 1619 to 1789, 1790 to 1829, and 1830 until the end. For for the pre-17th century timeline, there's a note that says, see Cora Agatucci's African timeline. I strongly recommend everybody check out that link. Cora Agatucci's African Timeline. So when we're looking at the chronology of the history of slavery, and this by no means is the be-all, end-all, because you have to remember, you know, the dates were pretty sketchy um, back then. Uh, So we're talking more about time periods as opposed to very, very specific dates until you get a little bit closer to the century that we're in right now. Um, so I, I'm just going to read two very short paragraphs to to you, but it is my prayer that you actually um, log on and check this out for yourself. In 1619, the other crucial event that would play a role in the development of America was the arrival of Africans to Jamestown. A Dutch slave trader exchanged his cargo of Africans for food in 1619. The Africans became indentured servants, similar in legal position to many poor Englishmen who traded several years of labor in exchange for passage to America. The popular conception of a racial-based slave system did not develop until the 1680s. For a brief history of Jamestown, you can check out the Association for the Preservation of Virginia Antiquities, and you can email APVA at APVA.org. The legend has been repeated endlessly that the first blacks in Virginia were indentured servants, but there is no hint of this in the records. The legend grew up because the word slave did not appear in Virginia records until 1656. Now, remember, we're talking 1619, so you're talking like 30, 40 years later. The statutes defining the status of blacks began to appear casually in the 1660s. The inference was then made that blacks called servants must have had approximately the same status as white indentured servants. Such reasoning failed to notice that Englishmen in the early 17th century used to work, used the work servant when they meant slave as it relates to how we understand it now. And, indeed, white Southerners invariably used servant until 1865 and beyond. Slavery entered the Southern vocabulary as a technical word in trade, law, and politics. Jamestown had exported 10 tons of tobacco to Europe, and it was a boom town. The export business was going so well, the colonists were able to afford two imports, which would greatly contribute to their productivity and quality of life, 20 blacks from Africa and 90 women from England. The Africans were paid for in food, and each woman cost 120 pounds of tobacco. Perhaps that's where they get the ideal weight for women. I'm just saying, look it up. The blacks were brought in as indentured servants from a passing Dutch ship low on food, and the women were supplied by a private English company. 
those who married the women had to pay for their passage, which is known in a lot of cultures now as a dowry. With the, with the success of tobacco planting, African slavery was legalized in Virginia and Maryland, becoming the foundation of the southern agrarian economy. Although the number of African-American slaves grew slowly at first, by the 1680s, they had become essential to the economy of Virginia. During the 17th and 18th centuries, African-American slaves lived in all of England's North American colonies. Before Great Britain prohibited its subjects from participating in the slave trade, between 600,000 and 650,000 Africans had been forcibly transported to North America. So as it reads on um, on innercity.org, you will read the the, the journey, the, 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 it's documented of how slavery evolved up until the late 1700s. And then as we move into the late 1700s and the early 1800s, there's much information about the American Revolution. By 1790 and the American Revolution, 20% of the overall population in the 13 colonies was of African descent. The legalized practice of enslaving blacks occurred in every colony. The economic realities of the southern colonies, however, perpetuated the institution, which was first legalized in Massachusetts in 1641. But at that point, remember what we just read, it wasn't really called slavery until we got into the 1660s. Then it was indentured service, six in one hand, in my opinion, half a dozen in another. During the Revolutionary Era, more than half of all African Americans lived in Virginia and Maryland. Most of these blacks lived in the Chesapeake region, where they made up more than 50 to 60 percent of the overall population. Quick sidebar, you have to look at where the ports are. Most of the ports in this country, the bigger ports are in that Virginia, that D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Then we slow, then we go a little bit further south down to that Chesapeake, Norfolk area. And then, of course, up here in New York and New Jersey, where uh, we have a huge port as well. So when you're looking at ports, and then Massachusetts has a, has a major port as well, right off of Cape Cod. But when we're looking at the ports of how we were transported in, you, it's very important that we look at the economies that were stimulated because of the importation of slaves through these ports. Now, if we look at from the 1660s where we were brought in, fast forward to the late 1700s, early 1800s, and we move forward into the late, the mid to late 1800s when, we, when uh, Abraham Lincoln was even talking about freeing the slaves, a lot of things had taken place. At this point, hundreds of thousands of slaves had been killed, and we were really used as currency. We were just considered currency. I got this, you got that. Hey, I got a black guy over here, you can take that. I'll take your cow for this. And we were used as a vehicle of a monetary transaction. And so when we look, let me just fast forward to where we are modern day, when we look at how some, not all, blacks do not connect well with money, how money is just, oh, it's only, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a transaction that takes place where our, our hearts and minds are not grounded and rooted in the actual transaction that's taking place because of the value of money. We have to look at where it comes from. A lot, you know, we have to look at poverty. We have to look at all of these things and how a lot of people in the black community do not value that dollar. Well, that's because if we look at the history, 
the value was not dollar. There was no value on the dollar because it was based on our life. And so we have to look at all of these things that we're looking right now at the symptoms of all of these problems and trace back to actually where it started from. I want to fast forward us to when Abraham Lincoln made the declaration to free the slaves through the Emancipation Proclamation. I actually saw the movie Lincoln, and I wanted to see the movie Lincoln, and I paid $15 in New York City to see that movie. I would tell anybody, go see that movie. Daniel Day-Lewis and... and, and uh, and the entire staff, uh, the entire cast of that movie, I believe was a very accurate depiction based on my study of history of the life and legacy of Abraham Lincoln. Excellent with Sally Field. Excellent, excellent movie. So now we're moving forward. And when we look at the facts of Texas, I'm sure I'm not the only person who understands how there is still such a strong, the strong racial implications that happened in Texas. People are still executed far more frequently in Texas than they are in any other state in this country. Blacks are persecuted and given the death penalty far more frequently than any other state in this country. I'm telling you, I don't care if T.D. Chakes and Joel Osteen are in Texas, I am not trying to live in Texas. They are Texas and Arizona are two states that I really have no desire to, to live near. But when we're talking about finally freeing the slaves. It was not until 1865 that Texas was finally forced through proclamation to abolish slavery in that state. And so I really think it's important that as we look at the plight of people now, we look at the of our ancestors. We look at people like my grandmother who's 92 years old and the plight of her parents and her parents' parents. My grandmother's mother was a domestic. She was one generation down from being a full-blown slave. We have to think and not be so quick to pass over days as important as this because it has such meaning in the lives of blacks across this country. And if it doesn't, it really should. So as long as God continues to give me breath in my body every single day when I wake up, I will continue to do my absolute best to bring you stories that are real and relevant and of topics that I think are worth mentioning. Thank you so much for listening to today's show, and I'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great day.